Hi everyone and welcome back to Edinburgh Film Podcast episode 33. My name is Kat Zabeka and I am the host and producer of this podcast here at the University of Edinburgh in the School of Literatures, Languages and Cultures. In May this year I was joined by three current MSc Film Studies students, Nick DeVica and Karen, and we talked about the difference of viewing films at the cinema and at home during the pandemic. If you are interested in hearing about the advantages and disadvantages of streaming platforms and our experience with them, then this episode is for you. Hi everyone and welcome to Edinburgh Film Podcast. I'm so glad that three students from our current MSc Film Studies program uh, agreed to speak to me today. So we have Nick with us, um, Karen and Devika. Hi everyone. Good morning. Hello. Morning. So before um, we dive into the actual topic that you kind of picked yourself, which I'm really happy about, um, could you, I mean, I hate to be this kind of like teacher kind of person, but could you maybe give me a bit of an intro about um, who you are and specifically when it comes to films, what kind of films do you enjoy watching? Why are your interests in, in terms of film? And that can be anything to do with university as well. Maybe, you know, you love film theory. So just hit me with, with what, what, what's up with you. Should we start with um, in alphabetical order, <laughs> Tamika? Um. I think uh, the topic that we have selected, which is to do with uh, how, uh, what our experiences has been um, in the pandemic uh, while watching films. Um, um, I, I was just thinking about the streaming platforms because we all have watched films on either Netflix or Prime or Mubi or um, our university uh, streaming, streaming platforms. I, I really caught up with a lot of Indian 50s cinema last year and watched a lot, a lot of that, which I probably didn't do in pre-COVID times when uh, we, we always knew what kind of films are coming up on, on cinemas and we we're always quite preoccupied with the contemporary films a bit more. Uh, uh, of course, this is very subjective. I'm sure maybe some, somebody has, has been into old movies since a long time, but as as in personal experience, uh, you know, watching a lot of 50s, a lot of 60s, and um, because the platforms gave me that space to do that, uh, even movie does that a lot. Uh, they bring up some very old films, which are not often heard of, uh, definitely not in pop culture. Uh, well, it gives us an exposure, and not just to students who are studying film, but also to a wide range of uh, people. And uh, it's certainly quite more accessible uh, than going to cinemas. And I think uh, that has been a really interesting kind of uh, uh, new dimension to viewing cinema. Um, I, I'm not quite sure if that's a threat to going cinemas because the fun of going cinemas, I'm sure is still there or people have missed that a lot. But I still, I do feel that personally, I've, I really liked watching old films. I really like getting caught up in, into all of that. And I don't think it would have happened if the streaming platforms didn't make themselves available to us. So I think, yeah. So Karen, how about you? I basically uh, want to say all kinds of films. Uh, I like the thriller films and crime films and uh, especially the films related to pop, pop culture. So actually, I'm just a kind of at the uh, observed part of the week because I think maybe um, all of us want to go to cinema to see the new films, especially I specifically enjoy the IMAX film and the visual effects is really hard to achieve in our home. Uh, so this year, uh, we really miss to go back to cinema, especially in China, when we uh, close the cinemas, just to be, uh, maybe become last year's Spring Festival. Uh, we, uh, the cinema closed for 170 days. Uh, then I come to Edinburgh to finish my uh, university, so I lost my cinema again. So uh, I think maybe... Uh, until now, I'm able to 
go back to cinema, I really missed it. Uh, I missed the feeling of seeing a cinema on a big screen and I eager to see something new. So that's my own feeling. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about what is it that we miss about cinema or, and why why we prefer going and why maybe that threat that was that was there before, when COVID started and when, when the pandemic started and everyone was, wor- was worried we're never going to go back. I don't really think that's that's a concern anymore. But we can we can get we can circle around um, to that question again. How about you, Nick? Um, so kind of my thing is is blockbusters really. Um, uh, you know, I went back to cinema last week to go see Godzilla versus Kong on the big screen because you know if you're going to do it properly, you've got to go big or go home. Um, but yeah, like my my you know my main thing you know is superhero films and like. I mean, to kind of put it into context, like I grew up, one of the films I grew up watching when I was a kid was Jurassic Park. So if if you if you think about like how blockbusters kind of developed since then, like, you know, since 93, that's kind of my trajectory. Um, but even then, like, you know, it's not, I'm not just solely into, you know, the whole Marvel thing and, you know, I, I do, you know, I do watch other, other, other stuff. I mean, my, my one of my favorite films is, um, Bob Fosse's All That Jazz mm. as a film I, I adore. I I managed to get into the cinema for the, the two weeks that they're open back in September to go see Tenet um, because, you know, Chris Nolan being Chris Nolan was like, this is definitely going out at the cinema. Um, and it was a case of, I you know, you had to, I had to go see it. So it was, it was really weird because the time before that I went and saw, I think the film, the last film I saw before that was Birds of Prey back in February. Um, and then obviously, you know, everything kind of kicked off. Um, and it going back, it was, it was really strange, uh, you know, that the social distancing going on, there was just this whole kind of sense of, are we really meant to be here kind of thing? Um, and then you know and then obviously cinema's kind of shut again and it and it felt it felt like it felt really weird like there was a time when things were back open and we're allowed to go and experience you know Chris Nolan's whatever it was that I watched um you know it 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 was it was just it was just a strange kind of experience um and then uh, you know going back you know last week and and it felt more celebratory if that makes any sense um I remember back before Tenet they they you know they do the the trailer thing where they like they show clips from you know I love cinema kind of stuff and this was like a couple weeks after I think it was a few weeks after Chadwick Boseman had passed away and I found myself getting really quite emotional when they were showing clips for you know of him as Black Panther and then you know, it kind of kind of subsided a bit and, you know, I just enjoyed myself for the rest of the ride. But then going back, you know, last week, they showed, you know, they showed the trailers for all the films and stuff and they showed the trailer for the latest Ghostbusters film that's going to be coming out at some point, Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I found myself getting so, like, emotional. I, I, I don't know what it was, whether it was the fact that it was the feeling of being back in the cinema as a whole or if it was the fact that it was there was the Ghostbusters thing going on or what but there was just this weird effect because I'd seen the trailer a, a good few times and, and I know I've seen it before but seeing it on the big screen and that that the way that trailer kind of reveals itself in terms of this is Ghostbusters and obviously it's one of those that's one of those films where it's synonymous with going to the cinema it's synonymous with films it's you know it's it's a very huge part of pop culture and I found myself just tearing up almost and 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 getting a lump in my throat and being like I'm this I'm back properly I'm I'm here um and I honestly I probably would have had the same experience if I'd have seen I don't know like Peter Rabbit 2 or or uh, um (laughs) you know or something something else but it, it was it was a it was a strange it was a strange one really that's amazing I think I think I wonder if part of that experience is also the fact that it is not just the cinema that's coming back. It is our life as it used to be, I think. And I think that combined with, you know, you, you associate going to cinema, I think, with being around being around other people and just the life, you know, from, from more than a year ago. So I think being back and feeling it, and I think 
having that experience that only cinema can give you where you are so immersed in it. I mean, that must have been quite incredible. Um, how about you guys, Karen and Devika? Do you, do you have a similar experience in terms of maybe going back for a bit or um, maybe not seeing any films in the cinema in the last year? Uh, I mean, I, I, we, all, we all studied film studies. We watched a lot of, lot of films. But I think one of the biggest concerns that uh, the onset of pandemic uh, brought up especially for students like us who are going to be studying a film. For me, that was um, the missing of watching a film together. Um, I'm not quite sure how this uh, really impacts because I always wondered, we all go to the theater together, but then is this a together experience or is this an individual experience or is it kind of both? And uh, there's a, I feel there's a lot of difference between watching a film on your own versus watching a film together in a class and with other people and uh, enjoying the same emotions, enjoying the same visual pleasure together. And I think there was a major missing on that. And I think um, uh, that's uh, what, I've all, what, I've, what, I, what is stuck in my mind even now. Uh, you know, what would have happened if our uh, courses were in more in person and we were watching the films together? I mean, what kind of experience would that then bring? Uh, but personally, uh, in terms of going to cinemas, and as I said before, like um, I get the big experience that you get you know, sitting in a cinema hall and uh, films like King Kong and uh, all these uh, films like Jurassic Park, as Nick mentioned, I mean, these are very uh, demanding films in terms of visual aesthetics. And uh, I, I mean, am I, I'm doing my dissertation on visual aesthetics at the moment and I, I, I get it, like what is, why is it so necessary to go to the cinemas? I mean, you need to experience that in a big way and you need to see how it is represented on that big screen uh, with perfect sound and all of that. But um, I think uh, uh, I, was, I was thinking about, I, this is a big censorship, it's a big deal in India. And, um, uh, you know, quite often uh, films uh, which are being released in cinemas they get censored uh, to show anything which is uh, religiously uh, uh, problematic or which could be uh, I don't know, racially problematic or gender ways and things could get censored very easily and sometimes very authentic parts of cinema get censored. But um, weirdly, when Netflix releases an Indian contemporary television series like Sacred Games, or um, any or Patal Lok, or any any contemporary Indian TV series, I don't really see censorship playing that kind of a role on the streaming platforms, which makes let's say the Indian audience open to a different kind of set of series, a different kind of films, which are very bold and which are which remain authentic in some ways or the other. And it allows the filmmakers to show what they really want to show without having to go through the, the, the political uh, implications of releasing a film. So I think there is a big part there um, as well. And um, recently contemporary Indian uh, television series have brought up an immense change in terms of what they show. And um, any, you know, may, the, may those be some explicit scenes or uh, some kind of uh, uh, bold um, gender related themes that they're trying to touch upon. I mean, they're able to show that through platforms like Netflix, through platforms like Amazon Prime as compared to releasing those films on cinema because then it gets uh, either censored or something like that happens. I obviously a lot of research probably needs to go in there and to really seek out what is the role of censorship and streaming platforms in cinema. But as per experience, I felt that. Mm, I actually heard that from uh, an MSc student who was studying last year and she was saying a similar thing about an Italian film, which I won't remember the name of, where actually seeing it in Italy, it was censored, but seeing it in the UK, it was completely fine. So that was quite a frustrating difference. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I want to kind of move on to the um, streaming platforms in general, but Karen, would you like to add to, to this before, before we do that? Actually, last year, we uh, the only film I see in cinemas also Tenant, uh, and that's back to China. Uh, but we have some old uh, films has released again on the uh, big screen. That's 
almost never happened before. Uh, and uh, I really miss the feeling of the people who love those films can get together and watch the same film. For example, the before I come here, I see uh, I saw the Harry Potter uh, in cinema with a lot of other audience and most of them dress up and uh, take a wand with them and will clap their hands when some very classic plot uh, on the screen. Mm, so I think that feeling we can't achieve, uh, we never can achieve in our own home. Uh, so uh, for this year, maybe uh, some other films will release again on the big screen. Mm, and there's also uh, a lot of audience go uh, back to the cinema to see, like Titanic or some uh, Lord of the Ring, uh, and some new, uh, some very young audience such as uh, me and my friends. We never see them before uh, when they first released on the uh, in the cinema. So I think that's a really a very good um, chance for us to see that again. We can uh, get that um, very special uh, feeling in the cinema. So. When we talk about different streaming platforms, we you, you do you did mention a few, including Netflix, Amazon Prime. I think they are probably the most popular ones. What was your experience watching films on these platforms? And you can you know you you can talk about the different ones. It not just the ones I mentioned, but perhaps movie and maybe did you notice any difference streaming on Netflix and then streaming on something that's a bit more niche? So I had to look it up, um, but. On March 24th last year, uh, Disney Plus launched in the UK. Um, it's kind of weird timing, really, when you think about it. Um, but yeah, like that was kind of Disney's has such a obviously a huge library of, of things, and uh, you know with the Fox acquisition and everything. So it was very much like Disney just shoving everything on, you know, all ready to go and. It was it was almost like here's here's the content and you've got to kind of sift your way through it in terms of figuring out what you want to watch. And I found myself I found myself just rewatching stuff that I had seen, um, almost because the experience of going into lockdown the first time, you know, when I was living by myself in, in Bristol in my little studio flat, I had, and it was very much like. I didn't know how long this was going to last. I just want to kind of, you know, I, I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck in my flat. I'm just going to comfort watch things. So like I said, you know, I, I rewatched nine nine seasons of Frasier. I, I went through the first 10 seasons of Simpsons and watched every Futurama episode and kind of just went through this phase of just rewatching stuff I'd already seen. It was a comfort thing. It felt re really weird just going, I'm going to watch something that I hadn't seen before in this, you know, in this space where I don't feel that I should be in, if that makes any sense. I don't have control over the space I'm stuck here. So it kind of feels unfair to place this outside influence on, say, a first time viewing of, of something I hadn't seen before. Because mm -hmm. that, you know, unfa and unfairly, I like to give films like their, you know, equal standing uh, was it was um was it Andre Bazin that said all films are created equal is it was it him yeah so all films are created equal you just gotta I think yeah that's kind of my approach to it I've been binging horribly uh, to be fair new series that I haven't seen before but I would consciously watch them kind of you know put on an episode and kind of consume it and then it was like Parks and Rec and then Arrested Development and I would would see maybe the first season or the first two seasons and after that I would just put it on whenever and don't like kind of binge it in a way that it was kind of in the background and that seemed to be I think that was a similar kind of coping mechanism like you just described Nick where you you just want the comfort you know once you know the characters and you know what they're going to say kind of and you know their voices it, it's just there's something so comforting about it and and every time I would watch a new film I felt so you know like so proud of myself that I <laughs> did um, got out of my comfort zone I think sitcoms I think sitcoms really lend themselves to it like you become like you said you become familiarize yourself with the characters the situations there is a trope to them there's a, a situation kind of going on every episode like I I watched um I watched Seinfeld you know I rewatched Seinfeld because it was all on Amazon Prime 
and and found myself you know just no like becoming so familiar with all the situations that it was almost like this is this is nice I'm, I'm spending time with some friends even though it's a it's a sitcom that's like 20 odd years old and film series do the same kind of thing for me you know you know there's you know 22 marvel movies and a varying quality but you find yourself kind of going through them and and enjoy and almost enjoying them as as a, as a series um and I think that kind of in that experience of just in lockdown and, and watching things, you kind of need that uh, need that kind of comfort viewing, you know, that able to feeling good about watching something, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Yeah. How about how about you, Debbie Ken Karen? Uh, I think like uh, with streaming platforms, as I mentioned earlier, like for Netflix, I think I watched a lot of Miyazaki's uh, films and they were just great and I was able to binge on a couple of uh, films together and I think this entire concept of binge that uh, comes from streaming platforms is about like you know that kind of comfort viewing and like you could just order pizza or something and just like be in your pajamas and you don't have to really worry about um, anything else and just like watch a film comfortably not having to think of somebody's phone ringing or some other kind of minor disruptions and you have the space to yourself and you watch whatever you like and things which have not been heard of things which were not very popular or they were popular and uh, re-watching some things and um, I think for me the most interesting streaming platform has been movie and uh, because um I, I get it that sometimes categorizations could be very annoying that, you know, movie is only doing one kind of set of films and um, they obviously have their own hierarchies of directors that they think are worth showing and, you know, those kind of things. But um, apart from that, I think it was really interesting because friends, friends of mine who are probably not into this kind of uh, genre, I was able to tell them to just get movie. And at that time, movie was free for students. It's not anymore. And that's annoying, but <laughs> it, it was free for students. So I could just like tell all my friends to just get a free account. And, you know, you could just watch a lot of interesting films. I mean, so many films from different uh, around the world and not just India that I didn't, I didn't hear off and, you know, just to watch them was interesting and um, I think that time to even look into the streaming platforms I think I found it because it was a pandemic and I was extremely privileged to uh, find that time to go through streaming platforms and search for films that I want to watch or search for different kind of genres and I think that 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 was interesting as well uh, apart from just going to the theaters and just watching whatever contemporary thing is coming up uh, but um, yeah I think uh, that skimming through uh, different contents was interesting to kind of go off bridge on things that you haven't watched before things which are uh, not in your uh, in your set of interests and try, just trying to watch different kind of uh, films from of different languages of different cultures and uh, uh, no matter if movie was very niche and uh, you know only sort of showing like parallel cinema, um, even then, even the slightest of the slightest uh, difference, if it could make uh, for students who kind of friends of mine who wanted to get this kind of exposure but couldn't because maybe they're not film students, but they now could even though they were studying physics. But uh, I think that was interesting. Something that came up, I think, just from what you were guys saying is that there seems to be quite a few platforms. So how do you feel about, so how many platforms do you currently, you don't have to say if, you, if you're not comfortable, but how many platforms do you currently subscribe to? And do you find, can you feel the difference when, you, when you're watching, say Netflix and Prime, in terms of the films that they have on? And then I'm asking a few questions at the same time, but, but in terms of um, content and, and films that are produced in-house specifically by Netflix again or by Amazon or even Mubi do you feel like it's becoming um, like can you tell that you're watching a Netflix Netflix film um, so the thing with the thing with Disney I found is really interesting is like you said with the week by week thing they did it with the Mandalorian as well was 
it's controlling the conversation because the the what happens with Amazon and what happens with Netflix, Amazon kind of have a thing where sometimes they dump everything all at once and sometimes they don't, they do a week by week. But Netflix do the all at once and basically what happens is like all the episodes come all at once. I'm trying to think of like a Netflix TV show. Uh, I think The Crown came out like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the crown. So you know, they all come out, and then you spend about what two days talking about the crown with your mates because everybody's all watched the episode. Maybe a week, depending on that. One division, it was a week by week thing, and the 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 conversation that followed watching an episode of One Division, a conversation that followed watching an episode of The Mandalorian, was all week, and you know that lasted for for a good you know however long the season was, and. I think Disney uh, are really kind of they they figured out what made something like Game of Thrones was so popular was because it was controlling the conversation for a longer period of time, which obviously made their IP much more, you know, valuable. And then you know, subscriber base was was kind of rising. Um, I actually do have some. I actually got some numbers, like some insane numbers. I don't know if you really want if you're interested. Um, yeah. So. Uh, March and uh, beginning of March uh, this year, uh, Disney Plus uh, reached 100 million global paid subscribers, which is um, three. So they were they so they reached 100 million. Now they they when they launched back in November 2019, they were hoping to cross 90 million by the end of 2024. Oh. So they completely obliterated their target. Um, Netflix uh, in 2020, they um, gained initial uh, an addition of 37 million subscribers, uh, which meant that their total at the end of 2020 was just over 200 million. And then Amazon um, is the you know the smaller one, you know, but uh, a bit smaller between between Amazon and Netflix. Um, it's it, it passed uh, 200 million subscribers um, at the beginning of uh, April this year. And obviously, you know, Amazon has got their other thing. You know, most people get Prime because of the next day delivery and the, you know, the video service kind of comes with that. Um, I have I couldn't find anything on Mubi or BFI or any of the smaller ones, but I can imagine, you know, their subscriber base kind of growing uh, a bit more. Um, so um, you, you were asking about the whole Netflix thing, whether you can recognize what a Netflix director film looks like. So when Netflix started yeah. doing their own original content in terms of films, one of the, the big films for me, which I was looking forward to seeing, was Duncan Jones's uh, Mute, mm-hmm. um, which was his kind of like, it was the, you know, semi-sequel uh, to Moon, 2009's Moon. And my, you know, I kind of liked the film, but a lot of issues that people had with that film was that Netflix just gave him, you know, it, sat, it looked like Netflix just gave him an open checkbook and no notes. So there was no, you know, oversight, of, of what was going on. Um, and then the film, as uh, uh, a few other films kind of did that, there was um, uh, Wheel Man, I think it was called, which had Frank Grillo in it. That was pretty good, but it was quite a, uh, what they call, you know, a director to video film, you know, it was low budget and pretty okay. And then, you know, then they, they started branching out and just giving bigger directors, bigger amounts of money. So the big one was Michael Bay with Six Underground. I think they gave him, you know, like $200 million to make whatever he wanted. I gave him Michael Bay that amount of money and no uh, limitations. Um, it kind of was like, holy shit, this is what a, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but um, it was like, oh my God, this is what a Michael Bay film looks like where he doesn't have any studio interference. And it was something that was just bonkers and insane and and it was it was it was a bit too long it was really really gratuitous and it was really really violent and tonally all over the place and it was a pure Michael Bay film and then last week we had um, Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead come out again a film a director where they've literally given him you know I think I think they gave him like 90 million 100 million dollars or something to make that film and you know it's it's two and a half hours long. It could quite easily lose forty five to an hour hour long in its runtime, and it's just a, it's a Zack Snyder film through and through. You know, for good or bad, depending on your opinion of 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 him as a director. But I think you know with these with these the money they give the, the Netflix in particular, they just kind of 
they don't do the notes thing that the, the old fashioned studios do. Um, so when you're watching these films, you can really see that this film is from that director um, uh, for good or bad, depending on your, your opinion. Um, Amazon, I think, do some, they don't do anything similar. They're more like, you know, they more acquire the films after they've been made um, and then release them. Um, I think Palm Springs was the big one that came, you know, the Andy Samberg doc, um, comedy that came out. So, yeah, mm. I'll stop talking yeah. now. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot, a lot to chew on. So, so how yeah. about your comments, Karen and, and Yuta? Um, yeah, weirdly, actually, it is quite easy to, not easy, but I, I'm some, most of the time I'm able to tell the difference that, oh, this looks like uh, Netflix or originals, or this looks like, um, yeah, um, I think a lot of interesting uh, contemporary movies and TV series have been um, uh, produced by Netflix originals. Uh, of course, I've spent most of my time watching Indian Netflix, so I could talk about Netflix India more. And uh, a lot of interesting stuff has, has gone through. And I, I think at some point, people were just talking about that and not about the movies that were being released. And I'm talking about pre-COVID. I'm not even talking about the onset of the pandemic. And, uh, and I talked about censorship. And you know those were the series which were extremely bold in terms of religious content, in terms of gender representations. They're extremely bold and things that could easily get censored if it had to. Uh, of course, I'm talking about series. But even then, it was a, you know, a bold move to do, I mean, something that Indian television series have not seen uh, previously and now they're able to experiment a lot. I mean some very popular Indian filmmakers like Anurag Kashyap, they have uh, really experimented a lot on their on on that on showing uh, series and fil films through uh, Netflix uh, originals. I just watched a film called AK versus AK and it was it's one of those dark witty comedy kind of films and uh, you know, you you don't really get to see these often. I, I I felt that some filmmakers found the space like Netflix to experiment this, and uh, that that was that was really interesting. Mm, yeah, that's something I read about yesterday as well, where um, the article was talking about the different very specific niche platforms, and then how you know is there a point of subscribing to a niche platform if you have again, big ones like Netflix and, and Amazon who will always dip into those like niche buckets and pick out a few things to make you feel like, oh, you don't have to su subscribe to them because we have it all, um, which I think has its own problems. Um, I go with that, but um, Karen, go ahead. Um, I think because of some network factors, so mainland China has no way to directly see these platforms like, you know, Netflix or Amazon and so on. However, some subtitle groups will transfer those movies and TV series into Chinese internet, God bless them. And party, uh, but, uh, I know parroting movies or TV series is really bad thing, but unfortunately, I think this is the only way the Chinese people can see these movies and TV series uh, at the same time with some foreigner audience. Uh, but that hasn't depend people, uh, their enthusiastic photos, uh, shows and films especially for the maybe Marvel things, you know, uh, the Marvel shows, they have a lot of, mm, they, they have a huge number of fans and audience, or even some normal people, they will know something like them. It, even my parents, they can see some superheroes, you know, and so it's nice to see stars, you know, and playing some familiar characters on small screen, especially this are some new stories and the new plots, uh, uh, plots on the small screen. So the, uh, and at the same time, the Marvel TV series and the movies have so connected uh, that people watch them because they afraid maybe they will lose some uh, connections uh, to the next films. So they have to see the TV series on the uh, maybe network. Uh, but besides the uh, Marvel TV series, and we think, and I think, uh, audience are also will regard, uh, will also to see some will regarded show, uh, and attract a lot. They will attract a lot of viewers too. I remember last year the uh, the Queen's Gambit, uh, 
uh, it's really attracted a lot of audience in China. And some, uh, and some viewers really happy to see some, uh, you know, the new plus and new story that wasn't some scroll of some blockbusters. <laughs> uh, nowadays, we really lack some new stories and uh, you, uh, the, because uh, so some, I think some company will think they just uh, really some familiar stories will really safe. But I think um, our weavers really enjoy uh, to say something new. Mm -hmm. That's my own yeah. opinion. Just talking about um, numbers, um, just to give you an idea, I mean, I don't know if this is going to give you an idea, but um, I was reading an article on Variety last night and so Variety says that during the past several years, industry incumbents have been joined by an array of new streaming providers. U.S. consumers are expected to pay upward of $41 billion for streaming services by 2024, a demand that seemingly justifies each new service launched. So obviously there's quite a few services. And just to give uh, whoever is listening a bit of a, an idea of what niche platforms are out there as well, we have, and I wonder if, if any of you have heard of these, Crunchyroll, which is uh, a platform for just anime. Uh, we have Funimation for anime as well. Then in the UK, we have Next Step Comedy, which is just about stand-up comedy. We have Shudder, specifically for horror, horrors, thrillers, and suspense. And then this is not really a platform, but it's kind of like a subscription website, uh, and it's EasternEuropeanMovies.com. I don't know how legit this one, this one is, but um, it's got a very good selection of very old kind of forgotten films from Eastern Europe, including, I mean, they, I think they mean kind of Eastern Bloc rather than Eastern Europe because they do include Germany there and a lot of old films. So anything kind of, kind of I think pre 2000. And the same, I think, personal people who do this one, they, they have like a specific website for Soviet films as well. So there's definitely, you know, I think specific, specifically if you maybe writing a dissertation and you really need that resource there is stuff out there but then having to pay you know five pounds here seven pounds here um it, it comes to to quite a lot of money especially I think for students so and it, you know, not just students any anyone I think in general you know I mean who can afford paying 50 pounds and just like the different subscription services because um you can't get it anywhere else um, the thing that the thing that really kind of shocks me with like all these subscription services, I mean the major ones in particular. I mean Disney is slightly better, but that's only because of the sheer backlog of content they've the back catalog of the content they've got. Um, is there was a, an infographic that did the rounds? Uh, it does the rounds every now and then on Twitter of showing the breakdown in decades in terms of the the content that's you know the the, the films and um, they're out on these streaming services. And the, the, the sheer weight of stuff that's out, you know, from 2000 onwards is shocking. And it's, you know, the, the, the amount of films, you know, the, there seems to be this kind of general thing in, in the general public when you talk about films and stuff of being like, oh, yeah, the, there's been no films, no new films, no films since before 1999 you know the matrix came out and that was the last film that came you know that was the first film that ever came out or you know what i mean like and it's the, this kind of like we don't really talk about you know silent cinema and classic cinema and and um you know the the, the film noir stuff of the 40s or you know uh you know what i mean that it just seems to be this almost like it's not on netflix it's not on amazon it's not on disney it, it, therefore it's not there um, you know, I was surprised when, when my letterbox uh, notification comes up saying that uh, Carl Theodore's Dreyer's uh, Audet, 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 um, that was available on Netflix. And I was like, what? <laughs> that film's from like 1920 odd. You know, why is that on Netflix? Mm -hmm. um, and it is, it is, it is quite, it's quite worrying in that. I mean, there's something going on in the news uh, going on at the moment. Uh, Amazon are in the process of trying to acquire MGM, um, which is scary, yeah. <laughs> very, very scary. Um, you know, Disney, you know, the overlord that is Walt Disney now owns, you know, owns Fox. Um, where it probably, you know, industry people are kind of saying, well, it's looking likely that Amazon are probably going to acquire Sony Entertainment at some point. Mm -hmm. um, Paramount, you know, is probably going to end up going to, you know, Google or 
you know, it, it it's scary that this is where things are going. And I, I I think there needs to be there needs to be a conversation, especially in the film world, in terms of what we're gonna do with this older stuff. Because I mean, I go to I go to CEX, you know, when I can try and pick up as much of these older DVDs as I can as possible, especially with the Fox stuff, because you know, Disney have this habit of um, doing this thing where they release like legacy titles, especially on, on physical formats. You know, they did it back in the day with the VHSs. You know, you could only get Beauty and the Beast on VHS for like six months and then it will go out of print for like, you know, five mm. years and then they'll do another edition. And, you know, that became a thing, it became a worry with a lot of people in terms of like the Fox stuff, you know, are they going to do the same with Alien? Are they going to do the same with, you know, West Side Story? You know, all these amazing Fox films that have come out and, you know, so it became a it became a thing for me. You know, every time I go to CX and I see a film that's available, in a, you know, from Fox catalog or, you know, a, an old film, and I'm, I just think, well, I've got to grab that because I'm. It's not going to be available on Netflix. It's not going to be available on Amazon Prime, um, and unless I, you know, find ways <laughs> of watching things other way, you know, it's it's going to be very very difficult for me to find these things. Yeah. So yeah. For sure, and I think that there's another problem with not problem. <laughs> Again, as you say, you know, there's always a, a different way of finding films online, which is not something. And I think it's good that now you have to pay for everything that you are streaming or like, on, you know, normally I think when you search for something that um, isn't on one of those streaming platforms, you will find it on YouTube. But you always have to pay something to get it normally to rent it rather than buy it. So it, I think it, it it does raise questions about, you know, well, how how do I if whoever owns it always changes is there a way, like, can someone guarantee me that if I buy this film online in, like, 2021, in 2030, it'll still be available to me, that kind of stuff. And the same, you know, I, th I guess, as you say, Nick, with buying DVDs, you can't really go wrong because once you have that physical copy, it's not going to, um, like, go anywhere. But, it, yeah, it is scary that hearing what's happening, I think, especially when you read about... Um, what's happened in Hollywood and, and the different, you know, how it was, you had the classical Hollywood and then that kind of disappeared. And then slowly but surely you could see how like different studios were kind of merging. And then there was someone on top of that. And it's just kind of, it's getting to like a funnel where you literally have kind of what two companies like owning everything, you know, and what does that mean for the content that's being produced and a, a lot of that, but we don't necessarily need to, need to go there just, just now. Maybe that's for another episode as well, but it's really. And the other scary thing is, is like, um, you know, they can post edit things. So things get released and then on the digital and then they can just edit it out the thing, you know, like, you know, you had the Game of Thrones episode where there was a Starbucks cup on the, on the coffee, you know, on the side or something. And it was like, oh no, you know, that wasn't there. I thought, yes, it was because we saw mm -hmm. it. It was in the episode and they, they've edited it out. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's one side of things. But then on the other, you, you, you always, you know, hear people, saying oh you know I do enjoy going to the cinema and seeing seeing films on film and uh, like 35 millimeter or something so I think there's there's always going to be this the same way that pop culture is maybe getting how should I say this I think I think we see more like pop culture that we have I think is now becoming richer because people start to have appreciation for maybe indigenous cultures or other cultures that have not been in popular culture for a very long time they've been completely ex ex excluded so I think on one hand we see this kind of race for like business and capital and content and that kind of stuff but then on the other hand you still have people who care about film like like we do and I think we will drive the, the, even if we are a minority I think that there's always going to be kind of a pendulum going from one side to the other where yeah, on one side it will be commercial, on the other they'll still be people. I think yeah, it's really important to have a streaming platform like movie in in front of theater, in front of cinema theaters, where you're only watching the contemporary films. Even though, as you said, that some of the theaters in Edinburgh have vintage, but that's not the same in different parts of the world. So it's really important to have a stream. It's, it's kind of your choice if you want to subscribe to it or not. And uh, going to the theaters has always been extremely expensive. And the popcorns in the theaters are more expensive. So, uh, I mean, it kind of depends upon the subjective 
personal choices that are you a movie kind of person or are you a Netflix kind of person and of course it gets very expensive to have like five subscriptions from five different and it could get very overwhelming to see so much of films and tv series but I feel the existence of a streaming platform like movie should be there uh, at least it's accessible to a lot of students beyond film studies uh, who can watch uh, interesting and important films um, while we obviously have cinema to go go to and you know watch a lot of Marvel or watch a lot of amazing uh, contemporary things that are being put up. I think that's important to have streaming platforms as well. Yeah, for sure. I think they work as a great supplementary um, outlet. And I think I, I think I read recently that movies planning to have their first cinema as well. So I think movies are a very great example of, of something quite small becoming quite a popular platform, I think, among quite 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 a lot of people. Um, and they're a distributor as well. And now with their own cinema, I think I think that, you know, but equally what they do, I think, will depend on <clears throat> what's happening on the other side of the world. And I think the reason or maybe it's just me guessing now, but you know why? Why is it not free anymore? Um, that you know, th there's going to be a reason for that as well. So, yeah, you can't have one without the other, I guess. Um, so, just going back to the experience of of cinema and going to cinema. Now that we we will be able to to do that, um, can you tell me what is you know, what are the reasons for you to want to go back? Or like, why do you go to the cinema in the first place anyway? What is it about that experience that... I mean, I'm still waiting for something exciting to get released. Um, I'm still waiting for more films to come up. I think things have just started to open up and um, I'm still kind of waiting for a few more kind of options that I'd be interested in and then sure maybe for, uh, I mean, that's the thing. I watch more of streaming platforms than going to the theater. I can't, it's like, you know, I can't always uh, afford to go to theaters. Every time, every Friday a movie releases, I and I like every, every Friday, all those movies that are getting released every Friday, I can't afford to go to theaters all the time. I have to wait for it to come to Netflix or I have to wait for it to come to some kind of streaming platform or other ways to access it so I will have to wait for it um, but of course like I don't think anything can really uh, supplement the experience that going to cinema does it is just a matter of options and it's just a matter of your own personal choices and the kind of things that you are interested to watch so uh, but that big experience sure like why not if anything exciting comes up then yeah but yeah I think I watch more of Netflix or all of that as compared to going to theaters, I think for, I think for me, like the the experience of going to the cinema. Uh, you know, one of the first films I ever remember watching in the cinema was um, Jurassic Park: The Lost World, the the, the sequel. Um, I mean, yeah, okay, it's a, it's a so so sequel, some really great set pieces, but it's like that memory of seeing that film in the cinema when I was about seven or eight, and it was like seeing the raptors go through the long grass and that image is just stuck in my head now and you know every now and then I'll go to the cinema and it will be like I'll be totally thrown off by a film that I'm seeing for the first time and that feeling of exhilaration I think one of the best examples is Mad Max Fury Road I had no idea what to expect I saw the trailer the trailer was great but that's marketing that's advertising when that film started it was like grab hold of your seat George Miller is taking you on for a ride. He knows exactly what he's doing and you're going along with it, whether you like it or not. And it was one of the best two hours sat in a cinema that I've ever experienced. So Karen, how about, how about you? Mm, uh, I just have a small thought about that. Maybe today's platforms and give uh, audience more choices, but at the same time, it also limited our choices because every... Uh, uh, every film platform has a recommendation system. They can calculate what's your favorite genre and recommend those films to you all the time. Uh, I, I know they are all great movies, but I think it limited the choice of, of audience uh, because people uh, because people are always choosing from the genres they like. Uh, and only the movies uh, and the 
and also the only the movie that this platform owns, I think, uh, because a lot of time we just flip through the list without any purpose, just want to choose one to see. Uh, and it becomes harder and harder for audience to get to new content and new genres. Uh, I think especially in China, cinemas also need the approve of the film adapt, uh, administration to release film. Uh, so, uh, and the cinemas and film companies do not have a power to decide what to release. So in many cases, I think um, uh, it's really impossible for old films to be re-released in China's film, uh, Chinese cinemas. So I think cinema has also has plays a role to help audience to bother their choices about the old films and the genres. Uh, in particularly this year's return of some old films such as Lord of the Ring, the Harry Potter series. Uh, they have really good box offices. I think that's give us a new, uh, uh, a new wave of this uh, area. I hope uh, the cinema can see the potential of the old films. Uh, I hope I can see more classic films on the big screen in the future. Uh, and I think that can make me feeling what it was this like be uh, in the old audience. <laughs> For sure. I, when, when you were saying that, I just was thrown back in my head to... I think when we were watching maybe Kamarai, I'm not entirely sure, uh, one of the vintage films in Cameo with my partner. First of all, to give you a bit of a context for whoever hasn't been to Cameo before in Edinburgh, it's a very old cinema. Um, so you have the kind of beautiful old school curtain in and it's very, um, what's the word? Like detailed, um, the way the screen, the screening room looks like. And I love when a film is about to start, a vintage film, and because of the ratio, the screen ratio is different when those curtains kind of close in. There is something about that that really, I think that's, that's it's amazing. It really transports you back to, okay, I'm going to watch something that, that's different, that's a bit older, and maybe have a similar experience to how the people that were watching it at the time had. So... So thank you so much for, for being here with me today and sharing your opinions and experiences. It was really lovely talking to you um, and listening to, to what you had to say. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you very you. much for having us. Uh, yeah. This has been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.